1: From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the parents of a teenager accused of killing four classmates and wounding seven others at a Michigan high school last week bought the gun for the teen and kept it unsecured, according to a Michigan prosecutor who called their acts egregious when announcing involuntary manslaughter charges against them. Charges against parents in school shootings are rare. Could more parental liability help prevent school shootings? We'll learn more. And as the U.S. Supreme Court appears ready to gut Roe v. Wade, we look at what other rights might be at risk beyond abortion. That's all next on Forum. Join us. this is forum i'm mina kim if the u.s supreme court overrules or guts roe v wade overturns it this summer as many are expecting after justices heard oral arguments last week over a mississippi abortion law it would be stripping away a constitutional right that the court has recognized for decades one that millions of americans have come to rely on and the dangers of dispensing with roe go far beyond abortion says constitutional law scholar Kimberly Whaley. Whaley says, quote, the logic being used against Roe could weaken the legal foundations of many rights Americans value deeply. Kimberly Whaley joins us now. Thanks so much for being on Forum. Thank you for having me. Your recent story for The Atlantic is titled What Roe Could Take Down With It? Broadly, what could Roe take down with it? Roe could take down
2: with it other rights that are not, articulated expressly in the Constitution, um, but Americans value dear, deeply like things relating to the family, who you marry, how to raise your children, uh, whether to get certain kinds of medical care, um, intimate who's your who should be your intimate romantic partner, contraception. I mean it's really a myth around Roe that it's somehow built on you know, a pile of sand. If that's the case, Uh, then we're in for some serious trouble because there are a lot of rights that uh, Americans just take for granted that are nowhere expressed in the Constitution.
1: So explain why the legal argument against Roe undermines these other rights that you're talking about.
2: So these rights and Roe ultimately come from the Due Process Clause the 14th Amendment, there's also one in the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment applies to the federal government. 14th applies to the state. So it says uh, that government can't take away your life, liberty, or property without due process. That goes way back to the Magna Carta in the 13th century, the idea being, listen, government, if you want to arrest me and put me in prison or you want to execute me or take my property, I get some kind of a hearing. Uh, well, then, early in the 20th century... In a case in 1923 called Meyer v. Nebraska, it's around World War I, There was a law in the state of Nebraska that made it a crime to teach German to children in private schools, and a German teacher went to jail. And the Supreme Court said, "You know what? Liberty means more than just you get procedures. There's something about liberty from government uh, that that encompasses other kinds of rights, and something as basic as." educating your children uh, around a language that matters to you and rejecting a national mandated language being English, that's something that the word liberty must, must mean. And that was taken, I can talk about a series of other cases, until Roe. In the interim, there's a case called Briswold versus Connecticut, and that's the one that gets all the heat around Roe. That was striking down a ban on married people having contraceptives Connecticut. But in that case, sort of what we call dicta, sort of the description of this idea of liberty, the court used the word penumbra and said, listen, there are a lot of implied rights in the Constitution in different places, in the Fourth Amendment, in the Ninth Amendment. And one of those, if you kind of cobble them all together, there's an implied right to privacy. And I think naming something privacy as a right rather than as a liberty right is I think what got things off kilter where people treat Roe as somehow a made-up judicial doctrine uh, when, you know, there's a lot of the Constitution, uh, First Amendment rights, there's, you know, it says you can, there's a right to assemble, but that doesn't say anything about a right to associate with people. The, The Supreme Court's implied that right, the right that you get to pick your friends um, and just to be clear, what we're talking about here aren't moral or ethical lines. Aren't you know? Do we like abortion? Do we not? Do we want certain languages taught? It's about the power of government. How much does government get to decide that for the rest of us? And that really is a principle that we all should should guard very carefully, regardless of political party—Republican, Democrat, Independent, far right, far left. Everybody should be worried about an overbearing government that starts to dictate your personal life. And that's, I think, what's at stake with Roe being reversed potentially.
1: Yes. And you're, you're noting some cases from the past, as you say, the Nevada case, the 65 decision in Griswold related to couples being able to decide whether they can use contraception, um, a 65 case. Right now, there are a lot of concerns about more recent cases, including cases related to same-sex marriage, for example, um, cases that, that really hit at more recent developments related to reproductive capacity. Can you talk a little bit about why people see some of those as also being candidates to be undermined if Roe goes down?
2: Sure. So if we think about, again, back to that Meyer versus Nebraska case and this idea that liberty, um, you know, the Constitution doesn't define it, doesn't give a list of things what that means, but there are certain spaces in your personal life and your family and these kinds of decisions that government just can't dictate to you. Uh, So 1967, um, liberty, again, this idea of you choose you can choose to marry someone of a different race. that's loving versus Virginia. Virginia can't make it illegal for races to different races to marry. Again, the word marriage isn't in the due process clause. It's not in the Constitution. The court said, listen, the ability to pick who you marry regardless of what their their birth characteristics are. that's not something the state gets to do. That's something you get to do and it's bound up in the concept of liberty. Um, obergefell, 2015. The, the, the case that uh, made marriage equality, that is uh, marriage regardless of sex, I should say, um, that's kind of an extension of Loveling versus Virginia. You get to choose who you marry, um, even if it's somebody that's of the same sex. That is, you might have a religious objection to same-sex marriage. You might have an ethical objection, practical objection, but the law doesn't get to tell you that. And um, then, uh, you know, earlier, 1942, I think a shocking case to our ears in 2021, Skinner versus Oklahoma, where Oklahoma was was mandating sterilization of inmates. Uh, That's a situation where essentially Oklahoma comes in and says, we think certain people shouldn't procreate. So we're going to force you to undergo a medical procedure. Supreme court said, no, liberty means government doesn't get to pick that. the decision to decide on you know, surgical treatments, 1985, Winston versus Lee, uh, Lawrence versus Texas, 2003. That was um, a, a law in Texas banning what we might call sodomy or other kinds of intimate sexual conduct. Again, we can people could disagree on what that's what's right for them in their lives or in their religion, or but but the idea is government doesn't get to crawl into your bedroom, into your bed and start regulating and penalizing your intimate sexual conduct. What What's the harm other than something that's ideological or religious? The reason all of this could fall is every one of these cases trace back to the idea of what does liberty mean? So if the Supreme Court takes the position, listen, there's nothing in the Constitution about abortion. This was made up by a bunch of liberals. We're originalists, we're textualists, we apply the black letter of the Constitution. If that's the rationale, then that rationale applies to all these other things as well, potentially. So a state could come along and decide to ban contraception, or a uh, ban the morning after pill, Plan B, or maybe even go so far um, as to ban certain kinds of marriages based on race or based on sex. Yeah. Uh, those cases would then come up to the Supreme Court. The court would say that's not in the Constitution either. Sorry, after Roe, we can't protect it as a matter of the Constitution. You got to go back to the vote. You got to go back to your elected officials and ask them to please reverse that law, which is basically what Justice Kavanaugh's position was right. this week uh, during a law, oral argument.
1: Now, uh, opponents of abortion rights or those who support overturning Roe or Casey say that a ruling like that would not go that far because the idea is that the life of an unborn fetus is especially important or sacred under the Constitution, as you point out, that nowhere else in the law does a right of privacy or right to make personal decisions provide a right to destroy life. What do you think about that argument?
2: Well, there's a couple of responses to it. First is what I'll borrow from Justice Sotomayor, um, who said, listen, the question of when life begins is a philosophical religious debate that that humans have been having for millennia. Um, there's not really a clear legal line of that, uh, Roe versus Wade just sort of said, okay, if the, ba- if the, if the fetus can live outside the mother, that's kind of a logical line that prior to that time, she makes that decision. Um, but the other thing is that that's not how the concept of life works across other walks of our law, right? So the eighth amendment bans cruel and usual and unusual punishment. That's clear as day in the eighth amendment. Um, the Supreme court has said the value of retribution outweighs the value of life when it comes to executing people, even if the person was wrongly convicted. So here we have our balancing. The court has said, life is not worth, it's not worth keeping or protecting if society has a a real need for retribution. So that's one place where the Supreme Court said, life gets outweighed by this this other value. Same thing with self defense. We just lived through the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Um, you know the the people that died at his hand. Uh, you know one was mentally ill, the other had a skateboard. Uh, you know what? The, no one had to prove that they were actually going to kill Kyle Rittenhouse. The fear of the fear of being subjected to serious harm that justifies killing in America. Two dead people. The law doesn't say, listen, that dead, the aspect of death is so important under the law that even if you are afraid, we're going to hold you accountable. Um, Same thing with police brutality. Police kill people by mistake. We say, you know, the interest in allowing law enforcement to continue to function to protect the public, that outweighs we're just going to have to tolerate some deaths that were not warranted. I think the argument for um, the, the, the you know, roe versus Wade being upheld is sure there's an interest in, in a fetus, but there are all these other interests on the other side that just like self-defense, just like capital punishment, just like police force, outweigh the interest of the fetus. And that honestly is just as easy, the easiest way to look at it is the interest of the woman's life. because, again, as Justice Sotomayor mentioned, the statistics show, a woman is 14 times more likely to die from carrying a baby than from having, from having an abortion. So what we will see, in theory, are more women dying. That this decision is saying we will sacrifice those lives in addition to just rampant pregnancy discrimination in our country, where even if you carry the, the child, the fact of carrying the child can have deep economic consequences, uh, You know penalties in your work. And then, of course, having the child is very economically challenging for a lot of women.
1: We're talking with Kimberly Whaley, Professor of Law at the University of Baltimore School of Law and a former U.S. attorney. More with Dr. Whaley after the break. Stay with us.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
1: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Kimberly Whaley, professor of law at the University of Baltimore School of Law, a former U.S. attorney and author of How to Read the Constitution and Why. Her recent story for The Atlantic is What Roe Could Take Down With It?, And what questions do you have about what Roe could take down with it? Do you think that is, in fact, the case? 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. And Joshua wrote on Instagram, what dangerous precedent does it set for other future cases? Do you think, for example... There has been some hostility expressed around the 2015 decision, Obergefell v. Hodges. Um, do you think that there are cases right now that the justices are eyeing the conservative wing of the court is eyeing right now as um, being justifiably relooked at as a result of Roe going down, if that is what happens in late summer or in midsummer of next year, late June.
2: Sure. I mean, it depends on what's coming up before the court. But the thing to keep in mind with this 6-3 new majority, it's sort of like what's happened in Congress, um, that with that strong of a conservative block, these justices don't have to negotiate or come to some compromise with the more moderate or progressive members on the court. So they have basically a green light to just bulldoze through whatever they see fit to do, Um, based on ideology potentially and reverse stuff Um, kind of whatever, whatever makes sense. And I'll tell you to them personally, right? I mean, they weren't, and the problem of course is three, the last three justices were put on the court with with a bare majority because the filibuster was dead under Mitch McConnell for Supreme Court justices. So uh, more than half the population that is Democrats, um, you know, there was no buy-in and for these three justices and effectively um, when they make a ruling, it, it's like an amendment to the Constitution. It's like a footnote. Voters can't do that without three quarters of uh, uh, the states and two thirds of both houses of Congress. But I'll just name a, a couple that are that are on the, you know, on the docket right now. One is a case called Carson versus Macon. Uh, this has to do with the separation of church and state. That is traditionally the idea is government dollars can't be used to fund religious education. That is, you know, I think it's being argued maybe this week involving a Maine law that uh, only gives, I mean, it basically Maine doesn't have enough uh, public schools for everyone, so you can get vouchers to go to a private school, so as long as it's, quote, non-sectarian, meaning non-religious, and these families that have, um, send their kids to schools with pretty, pretty radical views, including, for example, you know, no homosexual teachers, Uh, no children coming from families that have uh, values that don't align with the schools, um, that kind of thing. Uh, they're suing to say, listen, we should get, we should get money too. And I I do think this court could very well say that the right to, to be have freedom of religion includes the right to discriminate because these schools have said, we're not going to even take the money. If that means we have to stop our discriminatory practices. So I think elevating religious rights in a way, um, uh, that get, sees other rights go by the wayside. I think we'll see that. The, uh, of course, the other thing is gun rights, Second Amendment, big case coming up. Uh, all the court has said about the Second Amendment is that you have a right to self-protection in the home with a handgun. The question is, do, does that right extend outside the home? Um, if the court says yes, that means any law or many laws limiting that would be unconstitutional, could not could not be limited even at the ballot box. And I should say the last really, really huge huge issue that I think escapes most Americans is the question of agencies. Like whenever you see the word regulation, uh, that's when an agency, anything saying the Department of Commerce or Department of Labor or Federal Trade Commission, uh, when they, they pass what are called regulations. It's essentially Congress says we don't have the expertise or the time or the political capital to make all the laws that we want. We're going to let the agency do it. The Supreme Court has said many years ago that that's constitutional. I think there's enough uh, mm. on the court conservatives to roll back that that whole idea mm. which would leave a lot of american the american economy unregulated unless our dysfunctional congress does it so we could see this massive massive changes in our economy and our social structure in ways that are just unfor unfathomable i think as we speak today
1: how much do you think we've seen we've seen this discussed a lot that fears of damaging the court's legitimacy Could contain the court, but I guess also what I haven't really talked about yet in more detail with some of the legal scholars that we've had on is what impact it really has when a large majority of the American public no longer trusts the court to make fair and unbiased judgments, our highest court in the land.
2: Well, again, I have, to, I have to just nod to Sotomayor. And if anybody um, is interested in listening to any of that oral argument in the Dobbs case, uh, she, was, she was just brilliant in tying up all the implications, I think, in her line of questioning early on. And she went back to Marbury versus Madison. So in 1803, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said that when there's questions about the Constitution, it's the Supreme Court that decides. So the Supreme Court gave itself the power to interpret the constitution the constitution doesn't say that right it, um so what and we this we kind of eked, we inched this way with the trump administration when it came to the question of the census uh donald trump floated not not adhering to the supreme court around uh it, its ruling against his administration on on how to set, count um you know whether to use citizenship as a metric for the census and so i say what well, what's at stake is you could envision a a time where people say, listen, you know, you don't deserve the respect of Marlboro versus Madison anymore. Um, you know, if you're going to have that authority, you need to do it, you know, handle it in a delicate, respectful way. So we could see power grabs. We could see presidents saying, listen, I get to interpret that constitution. I don't care what the Supreme court says or Congress saying, I don't care what the Supreme court says. I mean, Supreme court doesn't have its own army. It can't enforce its laws. And uh, and so then we would see a breakdown of what we say, the rule of law, the idea that uh, it's kind of like, you know, more of a free for all or a food fest or whatever food fight. You know, the idea that I mean, part of why we have laws is to regulate behavior um, because it makes incentives and disincentives. So people kind of act reasonably. Um, They stop at stop signs They they, you know, they stop at red lights, you know, you get on a plane and there are regulations to make sure your plane doesn't smash into somebody else by mistake in the sky. Um, when the law goes, because regulation doesn't function anymore and people don't believe the Supreme Court's rulings, then the question is, you know, it's kind of every person for itself. And I, and I, I don't think it's hyperbole, frankly, I really don't think it's hyperbole um, to to rule out something like a civil war, because when there's no when there's no organizing, governmental entity that people adhere to and respect, uh, then it's every person for themselves. And Mm. and then we have chaos.
1: Well, Steve wants to know, if women are forced to carry a baby to term against their will, can an argument be made that this is a form of involuntary servitude to the state?
2: Yeah, I've been asked that question before. It's a great question, Steve. Um, And uh, not in the context of Roe, and I haven't gone back to look at what the, the sort of pro-life, or excuse me, pro pro pro-choice um, uh, lawyers have thought about. But there are other arguments floating around. There's one under equal protection. Um, and ju- you know, just Ruth Bader Ginsburg sort of anticipated some of these problems. I mean, she said, listen, it, it's a false, it's a false uh equation to say it's the mother's life versus the fetus's life. She's like, there's a third piece in there, and that is. autonomy of of the woman and and equality for the women so so you know I, i do think that there's a there's a 13th amendment enslavement type probably argument somewhere in there potentially it's just that the 13th amendment as a pragmatic matter hasn't really been used as a force to change the laws for example i mean you can imagine using a 13th amendment argument to say you know, prison, prison, people in prison can't be used in in the ways they are to, to, as labor, for example, Uh, a lot of those, I, I just, I'm not a sort of, I don't have my finger on the 13th amendment, but it's an excellent point. It's an excellent point.
1: Well, last question from Curtis who asks, can you touch on the 24 week versus 16 week standard and why the court can now rationalize a reduction to 16 with no basis? What will stop the court from supporting six weeks or even conception um, in addition to Curtis's question, also, mm-hmm. Kimberly Whaley, I mean, what Curtis is talking about is if Roe is gutted, right, mm. short of overturned even. But if it is, can you just also talk about how this really is the first time the court would take away a right that they said before is a constitutional right that the constitutional provides to individuals, right? This would be the first time? Right, I mean,
2: you know, keep an eye out for I'm actually drafting a piece um, on that very subject for Politico. So it should go come out in the next week, making (laughs) that exact argument, (laughs) because I completely agree with you, Um, you know. Uh, And then Justice, uh, Justice Kavanaugh said, well, we overturn stuff all the time. Yeah, but most of those, he used the example of Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal races in schools as constitutional. Brown reversed that. You're generally talking about expanding rights. It's relatively rare that the court will reverse itself to to narrow rights, and I think you're right, extinguishing rights is different. There's a famous court uh, case called Lochner um, in which the court did sort of not recognize a constitutional right to to contract. Um, So there is, that arguably was a reversal, but in that instance, it was protect workers. Uh, Corporate companies were saying, listen, it's my right to underpay them. I have a right to contract and abuse my workers. So it's all been about expanding rights. And so, yeah, this is a stunning moment, and it's certainly, um, there's no pushback on this 6-3 majority to do, frankly, whatever it wants at this point. Now, to Curtis's point, um, there you'll hear, and I would have been one of the ones to say it prior to Dobbs, frankly, and the only reason this is so aggressive with Dobbs is because Amy Coney Barrett joined the court in the interim. Um, I, you know, If you asked me a year ago, I'd say, well, whittling back on Roe is more likely. I think, you know, whether it's 16 or 24, That is a massive shift because the 24-week viability, just as a matter of common sense, the idea is, okay, after that, the baby can survive on its own. Before that, it's 100% dependent on the mother. So the mother's ability to choose is at its height. It's at its maximum point. There is no rationale for 15. And I've read the briefs. There's no, even Mississippi doesn't posit or suggest a rationale for 15 other than to say, it should be rational basis, which is the lowest level of scrutiny. And most scholars say it's literally meaningless. So they could move it to rational basis or they could use this undue burden concept from Casey, but that's so subjective. I mean, you could say anything, there's no such thing as an undue burden um, when you're talking about life. And, and, and I think it'd be easy also to say, okay, what about the, you know, the potential life's ability to come to fruition? That, that's something the state should care about. Um, so then you're going even not just to conception, you're talking contraception. And again, back to Griswold, if the argument is we can reverse that uh, Roe because Griswold was a fiction, anything that's based on liberty per se is a fiction. Uh, if you accept my argument that, you know, preserving life just isn't, it's not a thread that runs through the law. We're, we're perfectly tolerant of lives being lost because there's some really good reason for it that, that that's better, that's more important for the public good, like retribution for, um, you know, for a crime that warrants the death penalty, even with false positives. That is, even if we know we are executing people that are innocent, we're tolerating that because we say the notion of retribution is more valuable.
1: Kimberly Whaley's piece for The Atlantic is what Roe could take down with it. A professor of law at University of Baltimore School of Law and a former U.S. attorney. Kimberly Whaley, thanks so much for talking with us today. Really appreciate it.
2: Oh, I I really appreciate you having me. Thank you.
1: Stay with us, listeners. We'll move to looking at events over the weekend related to the shooting at a high school in Michigan. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim.